One of the criticisms of this space is that um, there's been so much focus on speculation and trading and not enough focus on, well, how does this actually solve problems for real people without even knowing they're using the technology? This is Open Out Crypto, a podcast exploring how blockchain and cryptocurrencies are shaping the financial markets of tomorrow with your hosts, Rumi Morales and Colleen Sullivan. Before we even begin, here's our obligatory disclaimer. The views Rumi and I share on the show are our own and not attributable to our respective firms and any other entities or projects we're involved with. Our firms may be investors or traders in some of the companies and projects we discuss on the show. Nothing we say should be considered as investment advice. And while we're always trying to be as accurate and timely as possible, sometimes we're wrong. You should always do your own research. Finally, I'm a lawyer, but not yours, and nothing I say should be construed as legal advice. Hey, Colleen. It's so good to be with you again. Awesome to be with you today, Rumi, as always. And of course, never boring in crypto. Never at all. I wanted just to welcome our listeners. This is Open Out Crypto. I'm Rumi Morales. I'm joined by Colleen Sullivan, and we are here to open out the worlds of crypto and digital finance for you here today. So let's start, Colleen. I know that you were thinking about DAOs lately what's up in dow land yeah if i had a bitcoin for everybody that asked me about a dow i'd be retired and we wouldn't be doing this show they are everywhere so we should probably start with what is a dow so a dow is a decentralized autonomous organization Um, they're essentially entities that operate through smart contracts with financial transactions and rules that are encoded on a blockchain so I think there's a much simpler way to say this though. So the way I like to think about a DAO is just that it's the next evolution of a company, but an internet native company, importantly. Yeah, so accruing revenue from an internet native business. So like Uniswap or Compound are examples of DAOs. I even remember in the really earliest days, there was this crypto conference in Chicago, I wanna say 2014 or something, and uh, Vitalik Buterin, who was the founder of Ethereum, uh, was talking about DAOs for the first time, right? A decentralized, autonomous organization, as we said. It's really a company that can live and breathe on its own. You don't need a company headquarters. You don't need everyone to be employed by just one entity. Rather, it can be a collection of people or a collection of technologies or a collection of something in the future, but the protocols will organize themselves or people will organize themselves through the technology protocol and be able to achieve a goal, whether it's a business goal or a nonprofit goal or, or, or what have you. I remember when Vitalik had mentioned, I don't know if he had said this directly or I put it in my head. It's kind of like, why do you need to just work for Microsoft? Let's say that you are a computer programmer. You can do a project for Microsoft. You can do a project for Amazon. You can really, everyone can almost be their own DAO as well. I hope I haven't just made this even more confusing. Colleen, I'm going to hand it back to you. (laughs) No, I mean, I think you raised a couple of really good points, Um, because even though it seems like DAOs are all the rage, you're right. The Ethereum system is a DAO. The Bitcoin system is a DAO. Right. And speaking of the Ethereum system, I think so many people have come into this space, you know, during the bull run of 2017 or after. And they forget that the original DAO Mm -hmm. was really something called the The DAO. DAO. The DAO, DAO. (laughs) which was supposed to be a decentralized venture capital fund. Mm -hmm. And during May of 2016, 
the Dow, raised 12 million Ether, which at the time was 14% of all Ethereum. It was about 150 million, which today, Rumi, Twenty-four billion in value. Oh, you know, I never <laughs> even that thought incredible? about that. You're right. That's crazy. Unbelievable. And, like, and I invested in it because oh, I was did? really curious. Yeah, I was. I was really curious to see what would happen. I kind of thought it might blow up. And as a lawyer, I was just really fascinated to see what what's the legal process going to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did blow up, as you probably remember, yeah. in uh, mid June. It, it was hacked. Yeah. right. It That's was, right. Yeah. That's right. And about uh, 70 million in ether was stolen from it. Stolen, I guess, is a trigger word for many because some would say code is law and the code mm-hmm. permitted the 70 million to be drained from the Dow and therefore it's not stolen or a hack. It was perfectly legal. So I'm not going to debate that. Um, but also, importantly, what came out of the Dow was, of course, the SEC's July 2017 report on the Dow which declared all of those DAO tokens that recipients received in exchange for their Ether that they invested were Mm -hmm. securities. Yeah, and I also think what came from that original, the DAO, was obviously Vitalik proposing a soft fork of the Ethereum network, and that was a time when people were just thought, that's sacrilegious, you can't do that. We're all supposed to, once it's there, it's there. You You can't fork the Ethereum, but they did. Right. Remember, and then Ethereum Classic came out. Yeah, it That's was right. in- interesting times. But I think the reason Colleen and I are right now trying to go through this history for those listening is, again, that DAOs are not anything new. They've had a lot of growing pains, um, a lot of questions around the, the regulations, around governance um, to reach the point where we are today, where we're at. Yeah. And, and where we are today, it's really interesting to me, Rumi, because this universe of DAOs is not small. Um, there's a site called openorgs.info, which we'll drop into the show notes, and it lists the value of various DAO treasuries. And there's a couple in excess of a billion dollars, U.S. dollars, um, and overall DAOs hold in excess of $10 billion in their treasuries. And to the point you made about you know Microsoft and, and the number of employees, um, DAOs also have often more stakeholders than traditional corporations. So like SushiSwap, I think, has 52,000 members. Balancer, I think, is around 34,000 stakeholders. So these DAOs are not small. And, you know, because they are Internet native corporations, I think they will continue to grow. But you raised a really great point, is that there's some real issues with these DAOs. And the first one is liability. So, mm-hmm. you know Marvin Amori, I think. He's the general counsel at Uniswap. He used to be with Protocol Labs. He was kind of one of those early internet freedom fighters back in the day. Okay. Wonderful guy. But he likes to say that Dow or that the corporate form is not a straitjacket. It's an Iron Man suit because it gives you corporate protections. And even though I just butchered saying that, I love that phrase. So, (laughs) and, you know, so the issue here is that without any kind of corporate structure around it, under U.S. law, DAOs would be general partnerships, which means there's no limited liability. And every member of the DAO is responsible for all of the obligations of the DAO and all of the obligations of the other DAO stakeholders. Now, if those DAO stakeholders were in a traditional C-Corp or LLC, then of course, the only risk they have is the capital they've contributed and their ownership stake of the, you know, the percentage of the income that they would receive from that entity. 
So in a funny way, Rumi, these DAOs put us back to the early days of the United States. I mean, if you think about it, the corporation is what allowed the early United States to have all these amazing technological and infrastructure developments, railroads, light bulbs. Those were enabled because the founders could create limited liability companies, and they weren't going to be liable if their inventions failed, unless, of course, they committed fraud. So I think that's right. kind of interesting. So if, a, if an organization is DAO first, with no corporate wrapper around it, you've got this general yeah. partnership issue. Now, of course, as you know, Wyoming has you know, put out DAO legislation. They're the first state in the United States to do that. And there's some flaws. And here, I think we should reach out to our friend Margaret and see if this yeah, is something Club, exactly yeah we, yeah we spoke to her a little bit earlier she's a state rep in illinois illinois is also discussing having some digital asset bills but I, going back to just the, the dow thing colleen perhaps let's dial this back a little bit why if we had those early issues around regulation still not fully resolved governance still not fully resolved depends right on every dow what are the pros here, especially if you know there's still a lot of uncertainty? Why are these popular? Have they matured since the original the DAO, and how? I'm just trying to think, like for for an ordinary person out there trying to understand, why would anyone want or need to do this? Like, can't we already, as freelancers, work in a distributed manner? What's the purpose of a DAO in that case? You bet. So I like going back to my favorite Coinbase versus Uniswap example. Mm -hmm. So I'm an early user of Coinbase, and I am one of the early participants that helped make Coinbase valuable. But I don't get any rewards for doing that. I don't have any equity in Coinbase. I don't have any participation in Coinbase. The only people who can participate in that upside are employees through employee stock options and VCs before Coinbase goes public. Right. Contrast that with the Uniswap DAO. I'm an early liquidity provider on Uniswap, and in return for being one of the first users of Uniswap, I receive Uni tokens. And I participate not only in the governance of Uniswap, but also from providing liquidity to that liquidity pool. So that's the benefit of DAOs, basically that anyone in the world with an internet connection can participate in these networks and become owners of them. That's right. So it transcends geographies, but but again, there's these legal issues. And you know, you raised an interesting point too on governance. Um, one thing that I keep thinking about is what if a DAO through the you know token holders, the governance token holders, appoints a dictator? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you well, do? In a way, and I, I don't have an answer. I, yeah, I mentioned Vitalik's name way too many times already on this podcast, but I do remember when Ethereum first started, people referred to him as a dictator, perhaps a benevolent one, exactly one that is trusted by the community. But what what happens if it's not right? There are certainly lots of questions here. But I do agree very much on on the pros that you were saying. I think it's very important to emphasize when we're talking about an internet native company. What's really makes crypto this next generation of the internet or web three or whatever you want to call it what makes it so important is that for the first time those who use it directly can be compensated or incentivized to do so you know i always like to say on my you know, on my side i know you like uh the uniswap coinbase examples they're always very very good but just in general time is money goes the well-worn adage right. time is money think about all the time you spend searching something on google watching something on youtube 
if time is money, you're giving them so much money with that time. You, you should bet. be compensated. You should be you. And the thing is, you can be now through DAOs, through crypto networks. You can be sharing in the economic success of the time and the attention that you are spending on the internet. And it really makes it a very, for the first time, a very two-way, a, a very two-way interaction between internet users and the protocols themselves. Yeah, it, it's almost, um, you know, I think about Uniswap where there's 42,000 plus pairs of assets. So you get to that long tail of crypto assets that you can access through Uniswap. Blockchain, crypto economies, very similar to the point you were just making the long tail of creators all of a sudden can be compensated for the likes on a TikTok video that they're contributing to that network, right? Everybody participates, not just that top 1% through the you know, Snapchat creator fund. It's everybody. So that's really the exciting part. And you know, I think um, you know, an example of a DAO sort of learning through its governance process. I think Uniswap, again, is instructive here, where um, something called the DeFi Education Fund just passed on-chain governance. So it went through the temperature check, then it went through the consensus check, and then it went through on-chain governance, and it just passed last week. And this is setting aside 1 million uni tokens to a nonprofit corporate legal entity for the purpose of engaging with policymakers and regulators on DeFi and trying to help advance those conversations. And there's seven individuals, I believe, who have been appointed to run that. So I think we're gonna get to this place where DAOs are going to appoint other DAOs for certain matters. They'll appoint boards yeah. of directors. It's kind of relearning many things that we've yeah. done, right? Because the coordination right. problem's hard. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. So I've got a question for you. I mean, you mentioned the DAO um, and as it, its origin as a VC, right? Another way to invest. Are there better use cases here that you think make the most sense for DAOs? Should anyone try to become one? <laughs> I ask, um, I'm, I'm, there's, a, there's a particular institution right now that we're debating actually transforming from a central organization to more of a DAO one and uh, it's, uh, I'm not sure if it's the best thing for this group, um, but I'd be curious on and your thoughts on who should become one, what ideas are the best uh, in this format. You know, my thinking's really broad here because I almost feel like anytime we invest in the space, I ask myself, would this project be better off if everybody participating in the network were an owner? Is that what's best mm. for the long-term sustainability of this network? And if the answer is yes, I think it would be suitable for a DAO format. Now, of course, I worry about all the uncertainties, right? And we have a lot to grapple yeah. with there on the legal side, the governance side, tax, accounting, smart contract bugs, privacy, transaction mm -hmm. costs. I mean, it goes on and on. But we're just at the beginning stages of this. So I think DAOs are excellent potential vehicles for gaming economies, creator economies, social economies, you know, coming together. Um, in those, you know, kind of those efforts, I think, are ripe for DAOs. You know, today there's essentially two kinds of DAOs, right? There are DAOs mm -hmm. that are just DAO first, internet native DAOs, where you have to worry right. about all of the risks you and I just went through. But then there mm -hmm. are other kinds of DAOs, like Meta Cartel 
and the Lao, which have wrapped themselves in a Delaware LLC. Now, that's really limiting because all of the investors then in those DAOs have to be accredited and you're limited in how many you can have. Solves the liability issue. And doesn't, but it, it, to me, it's not, is it really a DAO if it's wrapped in a, you know, corporate form? Yeah. It's hard to say. And that's where, while I don't think Wyoming's law quite gets us where it needs to go, it's a step in the right direction. Well, certainly it's pretty amazing that a state is already talking about this pretty, I don't want to call it esoteric corner of crypto. I mean, I think you'll find your pockets of specialties and everywhere, whether it's NFT or DAOs or, or whatnot. But good on Wyoming, I think, for trying to Caitlin Long, again, yeah, again, right, again on this, because this is going to be the way of corporations. You look what Delaware achieved back in their day. I would think that if Delaware wants to keep its position, um, it would also likewise embrace something like this. You bet. You know, and, and here's where I'm, you know, I'm, I don't think anybody's an expert yet, but I'm certainly not one. But Gabriel Shapiro has done some interesting writing on um, the Wyoming Dow and then why doing a Delaware wrapper may make more sense than using those new rules. We can drop that in the show notes too. The other interesting thing, Rumi, from all of our years in traditional finance, we know how important it is to diversify your treasury. So if right. I'm you know, going back to your Microsoft example, if I'm Microsoft, I'm not going to hold only Microsoft stock in my treasury. You know, I, I need to prepare for a bear market and I need a diversified treasury that's going to see me through. So Dow still haven't quite figured this out. If you examine what Dow treasuries hold today, they primarily hold the native token of that ecosystem. So the Uniswap Dow primarily holds Uni, and that is obviously not sustainable. Dows are supposed to live in perpetuity. So I think that's the next thing that we'll start to see is diversification of Dow treasuries and starting to borrow from traditional corporations, you know, whether that's um, groups buying tokens from the Treasury for USDC. So then the Dow Treasury has a bunch of USDC in it because, of course, Dows have to pay their expenses in fiat. They're not normally mm -hmm. denominated in the native crypto asset of that Dow Treasury. Right. That makes a lot of sense. There's obviously still kind of a long road yet ahead for Dows in many ways. Like you said, Colleen, we're going back to the basics of how do you form a company to begin with? Uh, but the reason to do this is to, at the ground level, encourage, incentivize, get everyone who's using the Dow compensated, involved, be a participant in the important growth of this network. I think it's a natural evolution, not just of crypto but also of, of companies and how people want to participate in meaningful work. So I'm looking forward to how I'm looking forward to how this continues to develop. It's been a long road. It will continue to be so, but it's an important one, right? It's an important one. And I love that you ended on a positive note because if the corporate forum gave us railroads and light bulbs, I mean, what are the DAOs going to bring us? I don't even think we can imagine yet. And that's pretty exciting. So it's our pleasure to welcome Nisa Amoyles here with us today. Nisa is the founder and managing partner of A100X, a very important new fund in the blockchain space. Nisa, thank you so much for joining Colleen and, and me today. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. I was wondering for those that don't know about you yet, but definitely should, could you share a little bit about your, your personal background? How, how did you get into the blockchain space? Sure, absolutely. So I started out as a securities and corporate lawyer. I then um, worked in the early 2000s under Barry Diller at his what, what is now IAC, um, mm -hmm. investing in the first wave of the internet. Uh, and the companies that were disrupting um, Web2. And then I have been in venture capital for the past 10 years, uh, was with a number of different funds, and about five years ago got into Bitcoin, um, you know, early, uh, just being around it as part of investing in tech, and then have been investing in the sector ever since. And um, then um, Alex and I both left our previous funds to found A100X. Right, and you're referring to Alex Bulkin, who is your 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 co-founder, right? Your managing partner at A100X and previously at at Coinlist. Okay, uh, Coin Funds. He was he Coin was co-founder of Coin Funds and was at Goldman Sachs for 15 years. That's right. Um, I'm I'm curious. I wasn't as aware of your history in Web2, right, in an early internet development. What are the types of similarities or differences you see uh, with Web3, with blockchain development and investing? Absolutely. So we were um, seeing a lot of early, like Match.com, Ticketmaster, City Search, um, all, you know, how we communicate, um, how the media was going to be disrupted, and um, the way we interact. And in Web3, really, you know, as you know, it's, it's really more about the internet of trust or internet of value and how we exchange that. And so there's, there's a lot of similarities. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, what became HTTP, um, WWW, um, you know, were a lot of these different, like, protocols and currencies that we're seeing now. And uh, just like we ended up with a few, we'll, we'll end up with a few again. Right. It's great that you mentioned HTTP. I always like to talk about that, right? Hypertext transfer protocol. And you think about the protocols for email, where there's IMAP or SMTP, and there's FTP, the file transfer protocols. Right, blockchain which is now like Filecoin. Right. Blo blockchain is just another P. It's another P, and it's in an evolution of our, of our Internet's development. Um, but you're doing something new and a little bit different. A100X has a unique structure, right? As a, a rolling fund, can you, can you talk a little bit more about what a rolling fund is? Absolutely. So we, um, it was started by Angelist about a year ago, um, meant to disrupt venture capital in terms of the friction that you see with traditional fund structures um, as you um, are a GP and you have a lot of service providers or for LPs that want to invest in the fund, um, there's a lot more optionality with a rolling fund. You can get to know each other over time. You only need to commit for four quarters. Um, and then if you're not happy for whatever reason, you can roll off. If you are happy, you can increase your allocation. Um, that, that goes very well with LPs' um, cash flows and allocation considerations. And um, you're only dealing with one service provider and that allows you to focus much more on what you're good at, which is really deploying to entrepreneurs and helping entrepreneurs. So it's, it, it also um, allows the flexibility 
um, for more people to access the asset class. So whereas in a traditional fund structure, you would have minimums that are pretty high, probably around a quarter of a million dollars for somebody, uh, an accredited investor to enter. Here you can have a much lower minimum, which really opens up uh, access to, uh, in particular, women and minorities that have been traditionally shut out. Um, and we think that's important, Rumi, as, as you are uh, our advisor, we think that's important because, um, you know, a lot of the wealth creation in this sector has gone in particular to, you know, one kind of person. And we, we want to make sure that we democratize access. And I think that's the ethos of decentralization. And Angelist is on board with that. Um, it's a lot of what we talk about when we talk about tokenization. And so I think it's all moving in that direction. Even our regulators are moving in that direction in terms of, you know, accredited investor definitions, broadening and um, the raise and the limit on Reg CF from one million mm -hmm. to five million recently. So, I think I think that's all really good for our society, and it reflects the demographics we have today. Right. What I really, really appreciate about what you're doing at A100X is obviously you're investing in blockchain uh, companies, and as we know, blockchain is a way to towards greater democratization of finance. Right. By getting rid of uh, ridiculous intermediaries and their wire fees and their and their and their charges but you're also practicing what you preach by having this rolling fund structure that enables greater access to invest in these blockchain companies to begin with by having these uh, lower minimums by having just quarterly uh, opt-in or quarterly investing st structures that you can take you can step out of after a year rather than being committed to for how many years um, but I am also really taken by the thesis of A100X. You seem to be focusing on things that people need, which is sometimes unusual in the blockchain space because it's all about hype. But you know your applications around industries like healthcare and enterprises, I'm just wondering um, why you're committing A100X to focusing on, shall we say, these more uh, traditional use cases and traditional enterprises. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because we like to consider ourselves as pre-hype investors, you know, getting into Bitcoin, then Ethereum. Um, you know, Alex seeded Dapper Labs in 2018, which, as you know, is now $2 billion as of last week, um, and the NFT craze now, which, you know, I think you're kind of at the height of the speculative trading um, bubble in crypto assets. And in order to make money, you really want to be more contrarian and you, you don't want to necessarily go in at the high. You want to go in before that happens. And so we think that the next wave of media attention in two years will be on how the technology can really be used for real world um, issues and, and solving problems. And that's one of the criticisms of the space is that um, there's been so much focus on speculation and trading and not enough focus on, well, how does this actually solve problems for real people without even knowing they're using the technology? Um, so things like um, what the pandemic has exposed with healthcare and using the technology for uh, coordination of clinical trials, saving money and time there, or vaccination rollouts, or 
uh, provenance of your medical data or um, even like, uh, you know, contact tracing, right? Right when the pandemic happened. Um, those are, there's a ton of startups that are building there. And, you know, the, they, they find a, har a hard time raising because when they go to traditional impact investors, they don't understand the technology well enough. And when they go to people who understand the technology, they're focused on crypto custody trading and, and clearing, et cetera. So I think there's a white space in the market. And mm -hmm. I think we really want to take advantage of the returns that we can get. These companies are undershopped, undervalued, but will over deliver. Um, and it's not only healthcare, it's, it's climate change, it's title and legal tech, it's um, you know, supply chains and other areas. Obviously, still bullish on gaming, art and collectibles, and we're seeing that now, uh, but I think we'll see a lot more there as well. I agree completely. There are so many important industries that can be transformed with blockchain, or if not transformed, just have operational efficiencies improved around areas like you mentioned around supply chain. We see this in manufacturing, food tech, ag tech. Um, so I'm really excited about the, the prospects for your fund. But I was wondering if you could also just touch upon uh, something that you mentioned around women and minorities being able to invest in A100X. Could you explain a little bit more about women and minorities being able to invest in your fund? Yeah, so for right now, they, they still need to be accredited. You know, the laws haven't gone far enough yet um, in that regard, but we're getting there. Um, we can lower the minimums to allow them to come in at a reasonable access point. Um, and that, you know, we, we want to be able to offer that uh, because we feel like they, they will have an opportunity to participate in the returns and they'll learn mm -hmm. along the way. And they'll learn in a way that's not, you know, full of jargon or exclusionary or intimidating. And I think that, you know, in order to get to what we all want to achieve, through use of blockchain, we really need to get to mass adoption and we can't leave out half the population when we do that. Absolutely. So if someone is interested in investing in A100X, how would they go about it? All they do is go to www.a100x and hit subscribe. And, okay. and prove it's, their, as that. it's as easy as that. I mean, that's what's so beautiful about a rolling fund is that they've automated the whole process. So it eliminates the back and forth with the, you know, legal documents. And um, it's just so easy. And I think, you know, in, in the future, we'll have funds saying, well, why aren't we a rolling fund, right? It, it's just a natural evolution and um, a new way to do business that's based on technology. So that's all you do. Sounds so easy. I hope everyone listening goes out and goes to A100X's website and hit subscribe right away. And I also have to say, Nisa, um, not only is A100X and its rolling fund feature a very unique innovation and an important one, but you being a female leader and founder of this fund is also important and very, very inspiring. And I really, you know, as, as 
Colleen and I are hosts of this podcast, obviously, but we know that there are not as many women in crypto leading the space as we would like. So I just wanted to thank you um, for taking this on because I know it's not easy. Ro raising a fund in any circumstance is challenging. Trying to do it with an innovative model, like a rolling fund, is even more challenging. And then being a female in this space is just the icing on that challenging cake. So thank you so much. So Nisa, if people want to reach out to you directly or follow you, where are the best places for them to turn? They can go to at Amoyles Nisa on Twitter and LinkedIn. Terrific. And we'll put these links in our show notes along with A100X's website. Nisa, cannot thank you enough for being our guest today. As always, such a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Colleen, as always, it was a real pleasure speaking crypto with you. It was a blast, as always. For those listening, please, if you liked what you heard, uh, visit our website, openoutcrypto.com, our Substack for our newsletter. Wherever you hear your podcast, please like us, subscribe to all your friends, give us the best rating in the world. We'd appreciate it very much. Shameless plug here, uh, Outlier Ventures has its base camp accelerator applications open. We are looking for uh, the next generation of awesome startups focusing on the open data economy, the metaverse, NFTs, DeFi, all that goodness. So please sure to visit Outlier Ventures Basecamp. That sounds amazing, Rumi. I'm going to check that out. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks again for listening, everyone. Thanks again, Colleen. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Open Out Crypto. Please reach out to us on Twitter at Open Out Crypto and by email at info at openoutcrypto.com. Check out our website for show notes and other information about the show, our hosts, and our guests. Thanks for listening.